Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hello everyone, it's wonderful to be back with another episode of Spirit Sisters, the podcast. Today I'm thrilled to introduce you to a lovely Sydney cider called Laura Neeson. Laura reached out to me with the generous intention of sharing her lifetime of extraordinary experiences, which she'd only recently started to reveal publicly. As you're about to hear, Laura began playing with a Ouija board when she was a small child in primary school, and that's when, as she describes it, everything began to go amuck in her life. The downward spiral continued for many years until two mind-blowing encounters put her back on the path to a joyous life, but it didn't happen instantly. Laura's story features religious language and imagery associated with the Catholic faith that she'd abandoned as a child and came back to in adulthood when a deep grief caused her to utter a powerful prayer from the depths of her very being. What happened next was astounding, as she tells it. But to me, Laura's story is not about religion. It's about the healing power of sharing our stories, and it's about the ways we're transformed when we decide to acknowledge our ever-present connection with a force greater than ourselves. We could call that force the creative, life-affirming power of love. On that note, I'd like to wish you and your families a safe and happy festive season. The Spirit Sisters podcast will be back after Christmas with more stories to expand mind and heart. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast this year. It's meant so much to me. So until next year or until after Christmas, here's my conversation with Laura Neeson. I really hope you enjoy it. Hello, Laura, and welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. Hi, Karina. Thank you for having me. It is so lovely to have you on. So at some point in the last year or so, I was listening to an American podcast called Touched by Heaven, and I heard this lovely Australian accent, and I thought, oh, what's this? And it piqued my interest, but then, of course, your absolutely amazing story piqued my interest <laughs> even more, and it's a story of, of despair, of finding faith mm. and hope. It's a story of a pilgrimage and an extraordinary encounter one night. And I've just never forgotten listening to that. So I can't wait for you to share this with our listeners. But interestingly, I filed away the idea to get in touch with you and you beat me to it, Laura, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> it's meant to be. So when we spoke, you told me that you'd only really touched, well, that the story on, on the Touch by Heaven podcast was only mm. the tip of the iceberg. Mm. So before we begin delving into all of that that was underneath that iceberg, and above it. Just please share with our listeners a little about yourself and your life and where you are at today. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm a 40, I have to think about it, 45-year-old, <laughs> turning 45, 
mum of two, um, married, living in Sydney. I was born and raised in Sydney. And I'm um, from an Italian family, one of four, and I have an identical twin sister. And I just had a pretty normal, average upbringing, no major trauma or drama, just, you know, your everyday life in suburbia. My parents um, had uh, a fruit shop, as lots of Italian families (laughs) do, and so that meant that they weren't around a lot, so I had... You know, I was surrounded by cousins and relatives who helped raise, I guess. And then, you know, I had a babysitter who she sort of comes into the plot line a little bit down the track. But, I, you know, I mean, the major thing that happened to me as a child was just, you know, stories of being bullied. But, you know, I, I survived it, you mm-hmm. know, and now I'm living in Sydney and very happy. That is so lovely to hear. And um, I think that our listeners will be able to hear that sort of peace and happiness in your voice, it does come through. So, Mm. Laura, what you're about to share with us is something that you've only just really started revealing to others this year, as I understand it. So so I'm very honoured that you're sharing it with us today. Could you please just give us an overview of what happened to you and then we will Mm -hmm. go back and unpack it all from from the time you were a little girl? Mm -hmm. Well, um, so like I said, when I was a teenager... And when I was a child, I had a babysitter who introduced me to this whole world of new age concepts and ideas and she taught me how to use a Ouija board and, you know, opened up that whole world to me. And so that sort of set a path for me that I followed right through my teenage years. I really got, it went from being um, curious about it to seeing there's something to this and then just, you know, by the time I was a teenager, full steam ahead, you know, just away from faith and down this track of new age and Wicca and all of that sort of stuff. Went through the average, you know, rebellion of most teenagers go through that I rebelled against my parents. Um, so started rebelling quite a lot and ended up, you know, mixing with the wrong crowds and, um, you know, taking party drugs and just getting involved in the whole pop scene and rave scene and all of that in Sydney and I ended up having a teenage pregnancy, had an abortion, had this incredible divine sort of intervention where I I had an apparition, didn't really change my life very much, things got worse, met, you know, the person that I thought this person is the love of my life and I want to be with this person ended up having a second abortion, that fell apart and the whole, you know, everything that had led up to that point just sort of came crashing down on my shoulders at that point Um, and I just, uh, you know, I didn't want to live, I didn't want to have that grief and that pain that I was feeling, which wasn't only because of the breakup, it was also because of the choices I'd made about um, my pregnancies as well And, and then something happened that, completely transformed my life and then in the years since has transformed the lives of people around me as well Mm. but intermixed through all of that that's like a real (laughs) nutshell is all of these incredible and sometimes really scary encounters that I had that were supernatural in nature and and they kind of all in those stories sort of all interwove into this big tapestry of what happened that took me from the person I was to the person I am now. It was, yeah, you could write a book on it, I guess. Well, maybe that's something to consider. (laughs) Maybe one day. 
Okay. All right. Thank you for that overview. I think that's helpful because there is a lot to your story, as you say. Mm. It is this quite beautiful tapestry, but interwoven are some, you know, moments of fear and and sadness. But yeah. so let's begin. Let's go back to when you were a little girl. And what are your memories of growing up and also your understanding of a spiritual dimension? When did that arise? Mm. Well, I mean, I, my parents brought me to church and I, I was, you know, I went to church because my parents went to church, but I didn't know what I was praying to. I just thought everybody believed in God, so it's something that you do. I had no understanding of their faith at all and they didn't really explain it to me they just sort of expected me to understand it which I never did at that age Um, but I was searching and I was curious and so when this person came into my life our babysitter who was a family friend and she started introducing these concepts like um, you know you guys are twins you might have um, telepathic powers or have you ever used a Ouija board or um, you know, you're, you can you can astral travel in your dreams. This just was like it filled the void of my parents' faith, which they didn't actually. They lived it, but they didn't talk to me about it. And I went to a public school, so I didn't get any catechism at all or any any type of guidance in that area. So she she was it for me, and so that became for me as a little girl. That became my religion in a way. You know, even though I didn't realize it at the time. And I remember there was no way anyone was going to buy, I don't even think you could in those days, buy Ouija boards. So we made, my sister and I made our own. and yes, the old homemade you know, Ouija board. The old yeah. homemade Ouija board. And, you know, I could almost pinpoint when we started playing with all that, that's when things started going really amok in my yeah. life, even as a child. How old were you, Laura, when you started playing uh, with that? Well, I was in primary school, so I reckon I would have been in year three, maybe eight, nine, ten. No, it's very little, I, yeah. Very very little, very yeah. little. But I, you know, I, I'd heard, you know, I had my grandmother had always told me stories of saints and things like that and in the, you know, in the old country. And so yeah. I always had this interest in there was something more to life. There wasn't, it wasn't just, you know, black and white and what we see here. And I think, um, I think all children are searching and so you know, sometimes they get their answers from the wrong place and that's what happened to me. I just got, got, the, got it all from the wrong place. Around that same time is when I started getting re- really terribly bullied at school. I was actually almost stabbed. And, oh, my gosh, Laura, um, really? Yeah, it was, it was, was crazy. And I, I, I could never figure out why I was a target but, and my sister wasn't or why my friend wasn't. I, there was no, never any explanation. And in those days... It was just, you know, I think if what happened to me ha- then happened to me today, it would be on the news. <laughs> but oh my it just, God. No, everyone just sort of brushed it off. It's, yes. So I went into survival mode and I think that pushed me deeper and deeper into that world because it was like a bit of an escape for me. Yeah, and so that, that you know, that, that sort of, I, I remember my favourite TV shows at the time were um, I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched and, and they were m- more reinforcement and, it, you know, painting it all in a very positive light. And I still love those shows. I, yeah, I, I love those really... too. <laughs> I grew up I with them too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I somehow mixed it in with the messages I was getting and sure. it turned into a negative thing for me. Of course. But I, um, I'm not surprised yeah. to hear that given the pain that you were going through as well, you know. And yeah. This, this great darkness really that was being thrust upon yeah. you at school with this bullying and 
as a small child, I mean, what outlet do we have really to express mm. that or to begin to even process that? So that's a lot swirling within you, you know. I yeah. can only imagine, Laura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it never occurred to me that God might help me out in that situation or that I could pray or that, you know, it never occurred to me. I just thought I'm on my own and I've got to find a way to cope. Yeah. Um, but then by the time I got to high school, that all changed and suddenly because I had a twin sister, we were very popular, particularly with the boys. <laughs> it was like a really cool thing to have a twin and and so it might it was like night and day the experience that I had and I you know, up until I was about fifteen I was I was really enjoying school, I was enjoying the popularity, I was enjoying my friendship groups. But then it got I got to about fifteen and I um I just, I don't know what it was, I guess. Well, we had moved from the house that I grew up in as a child to a new house, a bigger house. And from the first day that we moved into that house, we, my sister and I experienced, it started off very small, but we experienced really strange things, like supernatural things. And we would talk to people about it and nobody was believing us that, you know, that we'd heard or seen certain things. And, yeah, that, that was a really strange time. I, me- I remember playing hide-and-seek in one of the bedrooms upstairs mm. when we first arrived. There was no furniture in the house. There was, there was no one upstairs. And I was hiding in a cupboard and my sister was looking all over the house for me and I heard in the room that I was in footsteps and keys. And so I broke out of the cupboard but there was no one in the room. And I thought, that's weird. But, it, you know, all, you, all these little things would happen and you just yes. sort of push them aside. Push yes, them aside. yes, definitely. I really relate to that. Just before you go on with that, is was there any phenomena that had started happening in the old house because you'd begun to play with the Ouija board? Yeah. Oh, there yeah, was stuff there, was, there as yeah. well. Yeah. I noticed, yeah, I remember, I remember um, when I was young, it wasn't all the time, like it wasn't the whole time we were there. Just, just from around the time I started playing with all of that supernatural stuff, I remember I have memories of like being in a bedroom and then suddenly feeling like someone was watching me and the hair on my arms and neck would stand on end and I would have to run out and not be able to explain why, but it just felt like suddenly there was something in the room that didn't feel good. And I remember throwing a tantrum one night in the lounge room as you do as a kid and stomping off into the hallway and plonking myself down and the front door was to, to the right of me we had a driveway and I remember seeing the outline of a black man walking towards the front door and coming to the front door and stopping and not knocking and not moving but just standing there. It was maybe a few seconds but it scared me to death and I ran back inside and I didn't tell anyone. I just went, I just saw something and I don't know what it was and I don't know how to tell anyone. I used to have experiences like that all the time and then I just thought it's me, it's my imagination or, you know, nightmares or, you know, things like that and just sort of, um, put it to the back of my mind. Mm, mm. And children will do that and children will experience a lot of stuff without sharing it. That's certainly true. Mm. And so so that's the kind of stuff that was happening in, in the old house. But then when mm. you moved to the new house and even though you were in a happier state of mind, there was phenomena there as well. Yeah, so tell us was... a little bit about that. So you've told us about the hide and seek that happened when mm. you moved in. Yeah, so little. It started off little things like that, like we we you know we'd hear keys jingling, or um, I put a glass down on the table once and it just shifted across the table, and then I just thought, well, I must have done that. I must have slid it, or you know, you rationalise these things in your head. But I know I didn't, but I'm just trying to make sense of it. 
and then it started escalating. So my sister, I never really saw as much as she did, but I heard a lot. But she, um, I remember her telling me that she saw, she would from the corner of her eye see a black shadow figure walking by, sort of like the black man that I would see in, as a child. But she would see it in the house in the middle of the day and then she'd look and then think, oh, I just imagined that. And then wow. from that it started becoming, you know, like disembodied voices that we would hear in the night. And it, and it got to the point where it was, you know, it would happen and you think, did I, did I hear that or was, you know, was, and you could question whether or not it was your imagination yeah. to the point where there was no questioning anymore that this was happening and more than one people were, was experiencing it. And I remember one night I was in the top, we shared a room at one point, I was in the top bunk, me was in the bottom bunk, and we both said at the same time, what? And, and I said, you called me. And she said, no, you called me. But nobody had said anything. Gosh. But I heard my voice, I heard my name being called and she heard her name being called. And then we turned the light on and we just sit there and talk about it and relate different experiences. Last week this happened and, and then I'd say, oh, something similar happened to me. And, um, you know, we hear rapping on the walls. I remember one evening my mum had heard in the hallway between the bedrooms, she heard. She thought one of us had stubbed a toe or something because she heard a, a female voice whimpering in the hallway. But it wasn't. It wasn't either of us. Oh, wow. And then, and then it was really annoying things like you put something down and then you go to get it and it's not there and you wouldn't find it for months and months. And then you'd find it in the strangest place, like strangest place. And you're like, I don't know how to explain how it got there. Can you remember an what example is- of that? Yeah, like a shoe. <laughs> where, where like a shoe. So, you, you know, you go to bed at night, you take your shoes off, yeah. you put your shoes at the foot of your bed, and then I'd get up in the morning and I'd, like, look down and try to put my shoes on and I'm like, there's only one shoe, you know. And then I wouldn't find it for ages and ages and then I'd find it in the top section of my cupboard where all my clothes are stored. It's like, extraordinary. I didn't put it up there, you yeah. know. So that was really that was really weird. So poltergeist um, phenomena was happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, things but, being moved and yeah, things being moved, voices. One night that really scared my sister was um, everybody was out. She was in the bathroom and I was out and I'd come home. I unlocked the front door, walked in. She came out of the bathroom and she was white as a ghost and she she said, did you just walk in the house? And I said, yeah, I just got here. And she said someone was, she said she heard it was like a boy's voice and, and they were you know, banging on the handle trying to unlock the door and screaming something that she couldn't understand. And she goes, I don't know why that night I locked the bathroom door because I was alone in the house. I locked the bathroom door and thank God I locked the bathroom door. And then when she responded to the voice, she said, Laura, is that you? It stopped and the door handle stopped moving. And then that's when I came into the house. So, you know, she was so, like she was shaking. She was really um, frightened by that experience. But the, the really incredible thing is that we actually managed to capture whatever it was on film, you know, incredible. But it was our 20th birthday and we were all in the lounge room and the TV was behind us but it was off. And um, someone took a photo of my sister and I standing in front of the birthday cake. And when we had the film developed, I, I was, you know, no one noticed it when we were passing the photos around. And then I got the photos and I just went, oh, my God. And then I handed the photo to my sister and I said, look at the TV, and she went, oh, my God, totally freaked out. There was an image, like a, like sort of like a negative image, wasn't, wasn't colour, like it looked like a negative, yep. like the old-fashioned negatives, 
on the inside of the screen there was a man with his face pressed up on the side against the inside of the screen and his hand against the inside of the screen and he had his mouth open and this look of anguish on his face like he was oh. screaming and trying to get out of the TV. And I'm like, what's that? And then my dad was saying, oh, it's the TV's on, the TV's on. I'm like, the TV's not on, look at the lights, it's off. It was off that night, you know, trying to explain it away. Yeah. And I met my auntie taking the photo to the developing place because you develop photos in those days. <laughs> and, um, and, and they were a little bit shocked and they were saying, we don't know what it, it the photo, it's not a, it, whatever that is was there when you took the photo. It hasn't been changed in any way. That's fascinating. So I think that photo has since disappeared, hasn't it, Laura? Yes, because I asked yes, you about it. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I wanted to see yeah. it. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'd love to be able to show you and be able to show. But lots of people saw it. But my, then my sister took it to work, and then someone said, "Can I borrow? I want to show oh. my sister or my friend." And then she just never got it back. Right. And I've I've always like every time I go to my parents' house, and you know you have the old um, baskets full of photos, and and I've been looking for the negative of that of that night, and I can't find it anywhere. Who knows? Maybe one day when we go through everything, we'll find it and be able to. I'll give you a bell if we find yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> please do. But what strikes me as you tell that story is that that was your 20th birthday. So you've had at yeah. least five years of this stuff going on in the house, which yeah. I can only imagine was quite unsettling. How was, how yeah. were you processing it all at, at the you, time? At the time, we you, you get you get to a point where it scares you and you can't sleep, and every night is filled with anxiety, and you just and you think not tonight, I hope not tonight. And then you get to a point where you realise actually somewhere in your mind you go, it's not hurting me and we can probably coexist somehow. It's okay. very strange how you do that. But I remember a night that Mina and I used to sneak out of the house quite a lot because we had strict parents. <laughs> and I remember she was already out. She was waiting for me. And I was on the windowsill waiting because I thought I'd heard someone, you know, moving about the house. I thought, you know, we're going to get caught. So... I was sitting on the windowsill in the dark in my bedroom and I heard a voice in my ear from the inside of the room just go boom. And I, it's like I felt the breath on my face, like it was right near my face. And I fell out of the window from oh the shock. Oh, my gosh. And then my sister, we're on the ground floor, it was okay. My sister <laughs> was quite, you know, angry going, you're going to wake everyone, stop, stop. And then I told her what happened. And it sort of had this... Um, Kind of like a mis- it was mischievous, you know. It was like enjoying yes. the, the, the taunt a little bit. Yes, that's certainly the hallmark of this kind of haunting that's known as a poltergeist haunting. It's got mm. that mischievous kind of cruelly funny undercurrent. Yeah. And yeah. that night that you were going out with your sister, where were you going? <laughs> <laughs> we were going to hang out in the cemetery. Oh, that's why I asked. <laughs> yes, we used to do that a lot. We used to hang out. We used to sneak out to go and hang out in the cemetery, which what did is you do there? tell scary stories. Yeah. You know, someone would always bring alcohol and just and just hang out with our friends because we. I mean, the the group of friends that I used to hang out with, we were I wouldn't say goths, but you know, borderline in that subculture. Lots gotcha. of dark clothes and listening to all that music. So that was that was the thing to do when when we went out. We used to go and hang out in cemeteries. Okay, so so I guess that given that and given your friend group, you were finding all of this quite sort of enticing and exciting. Yeah. And, and yeah. Def- definitely there is that. And that is still part of the reason why I'm so fascinated with these stories because they have this kind of enticing quality. 
And now, you know, 40-something years down the track, I kind of gravitate towards the hopeful side of stories. But certainly as a little little kid, I too was very much drawn into the idea of ghosts and and mysteries. Mm. It it is very fascinating. But I can see from what you're telling me that I guess there comes a point where the balance gets tipped and and things begin to go awry, especially given that it seems to me from speaking to you that both you and your sister were very attuned to this other realm and mm. I mean we all have a little bit of ability but it sounds like you and Mina had more than sort of the average or your awareness was more expanded than perhaps a lot of us would you say yeah. Laura? Oh yeah I, absolutely our awareness was and our openness to because we've been playing with it and nurturing that since we were children so yeah um, by the time we were teenagers, we had, and with all those experiences, we had enough validation to know that this is real. There is something else out there, and I want to explore it. And I'm open. I'm open to, you know, whatever wants to come through. And and yeah, I mean, back then it was dark. Now it still happens. It happened since the last time we spoke, which I'll oh, yeah. tell you that later. Ooh, but yes, it's not. I'll make a note. It's not. It's not dark anymore. Mm. It's, it's different. Yeah, it's different. Mm. I mean, I have, you know, as you know, I've written a lot about women's experiences with this, you know, this experience is similar to yours. And many a time I have interviewed women who've had dark sort of experiences happen after playing with a Ouija board. And, Mm -hmm. you know, after many years of listening to these stories, I've come to some sort of reflection. And one thing I think is it's not the Ouija board in itself that, that is harmful. I mean, it's just a few scraps of paper and, you know, it's a it kind of a game really and a rite of passage for so many of us, mm. yet it's not all of us who experience something scary. So yeah. what do you think of the idea, this sort of idea that within us there is something that can be mirrored in our outer experience and that now your your inner experience has changed. It's something. It's much more yeah to the gravitating towards hope and light, and yeah. therefore your yeah. exterior is matching it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think. Um, but see, the thing for me was I thought I was channeling good things when Did I started you? using Wicca and spells. I, I thought I told myself I'm going to use it for for good, okay. you know, and I, you know, for love and for prosperity and you know and white you know energy and you tell yourself that but what I've come to realize is you don't have control of what comes through mm. and and it's a vast it's like you open it if, if you're not yeah if you you open that door you're inviting anything that wants to come in yes. come in and in my experience it was usually well it was always dark until that big intervention experience <laughs> which we're going Where, to get to yeah I love okay so okay so we're up to the age of 20 you've had this very scary photo you know so now you've got evidence tangible evidence mm. of something very peculiar in your home what was happening in your life outside of the home at this point yeah it was a mess it was a mess I'd already had a secret teenage pregnancy and I'd aborted that child I was you know using recreational drugs I was lying to my parents about everything you know where I was going what I was doing who I was seeing they had no idea I was living this double life and all the way through I kept kept just thinking I was a very unlucky person but looking back now I can see it wasn't it had nothing to do with luck it was about 
these forces that I had invited in were influencing my choices. I'm not, well, that sounds like I'm not taking responsibility for my choices, but there's certainly, I, I did feel uh, some level of uh, oppression and harassment in a way. And yeah, it was, it was just, it was a really, it was a really bad time. Something that happened um, around that time, I'm a bit fuzzy on the timeline, but I'm pretty sure it was, it was after my first abortion and during when all that activity was going on I was in my bedroom and I was watching Buffy (laughs) the tv show and I had the portable phone next to me and it was about 10 30 at night and my dad and my sister were in the lounge room watching something else and the phone rang my the phone the portable phone rang not the main phone and I and I thought I instantly thought that's strange or maybe the Maybe the phone's not working properly, but I answered it, and all I heard was um, like white noise, like static. And I was saying hello, hello, and then through the noise, I heard my grandfather's voice. And my grandfather had been dead for several years, mm. but I know my grandfather's voice. And he was screaming. He was like, but he was screaming, but it wasn't loud. And he was screaming my mother's name, and he was very upset, like. He just really just he sounded really disturbed, and I immediately just started panicking. But then I was trying to ration again what was going on, and I started speaking in Italian, saying, you know, pronto, sorry, who is this? You know, I knew who it was, but I was trying to think maybe it's someone from Italy. And then more static, and the line went dead. And I ran into the lounge room, and I said, Dad, who would be calling Mum at this time of night? And he looked at me like I had three heads, and he said, no one. He said, I, only people call from Italy ask for me. Your mum's family's here. I'm like, yeah, I know. And then she, and then me, and said, what's wrong? And I said, the phone just rang in my room, and I heard Nonno's voice. And he goes, I didn't hear the phone ring. I said, no, it didn't ring in my room. And um, and he went, I'll go back to bed. You're just dreaming. And I, Mina said, your face was white. Like I was so shook up by that experience. And then the next day, my mum must have heard the commotion between my dad and me, the conversation we were having, and she approached me and she said. What happened last night with the phone call? Did someone? Did you get a phone call? And I told her what happened, and she got so upset, and she said that she'd had a dream that week of her father, and he burst into our house, and he was screaming her name. Oh, and I wow. said, "So you have a dream that he's doing that, and I get a phone call when he's doing that. Like, why? What's going on?" And then, in I think deep down for me, I thought he can see what I'm doing, and he's not happy. That, that was a little, maybe it was guilt, I don't know. But my mum said because she hadn't, she just sort of had been so busy with life, she'd never been, she hadn't been to the um, cemetery to visit him in over a year and she hadn't been praying for him and maybe he needs our prayers because in, in our Catholic faith we, we have this thing about purgatory. So, so to her, that's how she rationalised it. I didn't, at the time, I didn't know at the time if that, that was the case. Looking back now, I think it was. I may think maybe it was even a bit of both. But, yeah, that, that was um, a pretty full-on experience that, that happened amazing. around that time. That is amazing, Laura. So, yes, so there's a sense from your telling that there was an urgency to his call. Yeah. And he yeah. was as if trying to alert your mother to your suffering yeah. perhaps. Yeah, yeah, and and the path that I was on and where mm. it was leading, and you know, maybe, leading. I don't know, maybe he could see ahead of time, I don't know, yes. where, where I was where I was leading. But, yeah, he wasn't happy. He wasn't, <laughs> he happy. wasn't happy. And there was another episode that 
occurred almost like the culmination of your frightening experiences in your home. And I'm not sure whether this was before your granddad called from heaven or or after, but um, there was a, a creature that you saw in your room. Yeah, yeah. That was around the same time. That's when I st- it started going from being funny and, you know, something that I thought was like a cool party trick I'll tell people about to actually being really dark, yeah. really dark. And, yeah, like I felt like my life I was so unlucky all the time. All these bad things kept happening to, happening to me. And then one morning I was, I was asleep in my bed and it was sort of just before I was waking up in the morning and I had I, – I don't remember what I was dreaming. I don't remember dreaming anything, but I physically felt – the pressure of somebody on top of me, like on top of my chest, on top of my body, and then the physical sensation of being aroused. And it was maybe only for a few seconds that I started to feel like that. And I opened my eyes and as I opened my eyes, I saw this like, how do I explain it without sounding like I'm crazy? I saw like what looked to me like a demon sitting or like crawling on my body, on top of my body. And he had... Um, the body that a body that looked sort of lizard like, like short arms and short legs. He didn't. I don't remember seeing a tail or anything, but short arms and short legs. But his face. He had the most fiendish look on his face, like he was really enjoying it. And and it was like a split second, and it was gone. Gosh. And I just jumped out of the bed, and you know, was like wiping myself down, going, I don't, "What was that? I don't know what it was. I don't know. I physically saw it, but mm. if I told someone." You know, they might say you were dreaming, but it wasn't a dream. I, you know, I physically saw it. My eyes were open. Especially when we could, we put it into context with everything else that was going on within the home, yeah. you know, and yeah, it's it's quite amazing. And you're not alone yeah. in that. I mean, I have spoken to people before. There was a lady I spoke to called Bella on my other podcast, The Ghost Files. I don't know if you listened to that one. Yeah. And did, uh, yeah. did you listen to, to Bella's one? So I she had did, a yeah. very similar experience with a being that looked like that to some extent yeah. and um, very similar. And it, except hers came with this rocking of the bed, like it was shaking up and mm. down Hollywood horror movie style mm. but um but yeah so you're not alone in those encounters Laura you know yeah. I've certainly spoken to many women who've had similar things like that but I cannot imagine how terrifying it must be yeah. to see that yeah. yeah it was terrifying but in the grand scheme of things of everything that was happening at that time that, that I was experiencing it was just more of the same you get a level of like um like a callus develops emotionally yeah. when you experience these things yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a really great way to put it. So, tell us what happened next. Well, let me think. Oh, yes, <laughs> the first, the first um, big intervention moment. So, so while all of this was going on, it was a little bit crazy, you know, in the house. All the all the um, entity type experiences were going on, and then one night, I was asleep in my bed, and. I felt a gold light on my eyelids and it was there for, it was like someone was shining a torch on my eyelids going, wake up, wake up. And it was there for a while and it was starting to rouse me from my sleep and I started thinking, oh, is there a car in the driveway? Like I wish that light would go away because I can't sleep. And then I eventually opened my eyes to see what, what the light was and I saw, I sat up in my bed and I saw 
um, a globe of light, a ball of gold light, and it came in from the window and it was just sort of dancing around the foot of my bed, like right in front of me at the foot of my bed. And I was, I just remember thinking, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming, this isn't happening. And I was rubbing my eyes and punching my arm and pinching my arm and, and just, you know, complete disbelief. Like even though I'd experienced everything, this was on another level because I, I was like, is it a UFO? Like what is this? Like what am I looking at? And then the light, the ball stopped dancing, stopped moving around and it just, the light just grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was a beautiful light. Like it was like the sun. I would say it was like the sun but, but didn't hurt your eyes. Mm. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then from inside the light, I saw a woman standing there and I, I didn't recognise her at first. It was only when she, she had, she didn't say anything to me and she lifted up her right hand and just did motion for me to come to her just once or twice. Mm. That, and then I realised it's the Virgin Mary. I was looking at the Virgin Mary and she had a blue veil and a white dress and she, I could see, you know, snippets of dark hair underneath the veil and although the ball was at the foot of my feet, the, the, her image inside the light was distant. <laughs> it's not like she was like six foot tall in front of me on that occasion. It was distant. And as soon as she started motioning to me to come, I just got so scared. I was like terrified. And I threw myself back in the bed and with the sheets and pulled the sheets over my head. And the second I did that, it was gone, like the light was gone because my whole room was lit. The whole room was lit up. The light was gone. Everything was gone. And I was left sweating and shaking and going, what was that? What I couldn't couldn't believe it. And then the next day I um, I went to my mum. My, I remember my mum was at, standing at the kitchen um, sink peeling potatoes and I stood next to her and I said, Mum, can I tell you something that happened to me last night? And I told her. And she didn't even look at me and she wasn't, she didn't flinch. She wasn't, you know, no, there was no reaction. She just kept peeling the potatoes and then she stopped and she said, Laura, every single day I pray to Our Lady for you, for you to come back to God. Wow. And I just, I just looked at her. It's like, it's like she knew that was going to happen to me or something. And I just looked at her and I said, stop doing that because that was scary. I don't <laughs> want to do that. I don't want to see that again. And um, what, why do you think you got so scared sort of specifically when she started to motion for you to come closer? When she started doing that, I, I just, I don't know why, but I, I sensed her, even though she didn't say anything and she was her motions were calm and graceful, I sensed her urgency. I felt like this was urgent. And the, the gravity of what I was seeing, it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think, you know, maybe because people say that to me when I've told this story, but, you know, when people see the Virgin Mary, aren't they really happy? And I said, but it, for me it was like a real circuit breaker because I was in this dark place and I was surrounded by all these dark forces that for that to come into my life at that moment, I don't know, maybe it was um, not only me that was terrified, maybe it was the dark forces influencing me that were terrified. I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's very insightful, very insightful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's also a beautiful sort of testament to the power of prayer. I mean, I've interviewed people who've had near-death experiences and I've read many accounts and a lot of them have this insight about the power of prayer and they come back to share that insight and they say that it is truly, truly powerful. It makes a tangible difference and they can actually, from that 
other perspective of the near-death experience. They're actually able to see it and, you know, Mm. the accounts vary but it could be seeing an abundance of little lights rising from the earth if they're sort of a a universe type view and they know Mm. that each one is a prayer that's going up. That's just one way. But, yeah, that really strikes me as a very profound sort of testament to the power of prayer and the power of the bond between a mother and her child as well and wanting the best for them. And mm-hmm. that that is, you know, that has an effect. It has an effect, that kind of love. Very yeah. beautiful. And so yeah. can you tell me how, do you know how sort of big the ball of light was? Just for, for us to continue picturing. Yeah, it looked like um, bigger than a tennis ball. Maybe like, I could show you with my hand, but I'm holding the phone. It was kind of like maybe 10 centimetres, 12 centimetres in diameter. Okay. It wasn't, but when it, when it was dancing, it was just a small kind of thing. And then when it stopped moving and opened it up, opened up, it wasn't even a ball, and it was just like sometimes you see those um, pictures of the Virgin Mary of Guadalupe, and mm. she's inside a light. Mm. That's what it was like when it opened up. It was like that. It was like the light was all around her. It wasn't a ball anymore. That is amazing. And yeah. what I love about this story as well is that you sat up. <laughs> Yeah. And you were pinching yourself, and, you know. And I, had, I had bruises the next day oh. where I was pinching because I was like, okay, I'm still not waking up. I need to pinch harder. It was it's like, no, this is actually happening. Oh, well, it's an amazing gift, really. How very beautiful. That was, you describe it as sort of the first intervention. And so how did that affect your life? What direction did you begin to travel in after that? What happened next? Well, strangely enough, after that happened, things actually got worse for me. The, the, the only thing that really changed was that somewhere inside of me I had this confirmation that what I had suspected all my life, which was that there was a God, was right. But I wasn't ready to be, you know, this converted person. I didn't want to even go there. I was, like, not interested, you know, in all that church. So it was sort of like I've heard stories of St. Augustine who would say, yes, God, I want to be converted, but not yet because he still wanted to be yeah. in the world and live a worldly life. And it was kind of, kind of like that. It was like, thanks for the um, tap on the shoulder, but I'm not quite ready yet. And so I just pushed it away. I didn't tell anyone, apart from my family, I didn't tell anyone about it. I just thought they'll think I'm mad. I'm just going to not say anything and just kept it to myself and then just go on with life. And it got my life just continued to progress down the path it was on. It didn't, there wasn't much of a change except for that, you know, seed that was planted I guess that that God is real and then not long after that um well you know I sort of had relationship breakdown and another relationship breakdown and I made some you know choices that I wasn't proud of terrible choices that I wasn't proud of and then eventually I was I was you know I was I wanted to be in love you know but I kept looking for it in all the wrong places you know um and then eventually I was single for a while and then I, I I met um, this guy who was like, the, the second I met him, I'm like, this is the one, you know, he's like, it, it was just like everything fell into place. And we had this history together that we'd known, you know, we knew each other back in the day, but we never really, never hooked, we were only 15, we never hooked up or anything like that. But we always had this like secret crush. And I just thought, this is like the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, you know, I was just fell madly in love straight away. And he was, he and I both were kind of a little bit messed up still, you know, recreational drugs, lots of partying, and we just weren't in a good place, you know, right off the bat. It wasn't, it was a dysfunctional situation. 
And um, after about a year of sort of going out and then breaking up, making up, breaking up, making up, I fell pregnant again. And it didn't even occur to me, even from the first choice that I made, the first time that I made it, and, the, and all those experiences since then, didn't even occur to me that I wasn't going to do the same thing again. I was going to abort. That was, I was not having the baby. That was that was not on my radar. It was not going to happen. And, and particularly while you know things were so uncertain with this person, so I had I had another abortion. And not long after that, we broke up, and and it was final. It was like that's it. And I just fell apart. I fell apart. I it felt it to me. It felt like someone had died. The grief that I was feeling was unbearable and it was there. I couldn't breathe. It was every second of the day from the moment I woke up to the moment I fell asleep. It's all I could feel. I think I lost like 10 kilos in the space of a month. I just wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping well, taking more drugs. I was a mess. And I got to the point where I was like, I actually don't want to feel like this anymore. I can't feel like this anymore. I'd rather be dead. And I was thinking to myself, be better if I was dead. And one night I was like I had a really bad night and I was I was in my bedroom and I was like overwhelmed with this grief, crying and crying and crying. And I just reached out to God. I, you know, finally got to on my knees, that point where you're on your knees, and I just reached out to God and I said, God, I please just my I, the whole time I was praying it was please take the pain away. It wasn't help me. Oh, it was help me, but it wasn't like fix this problem, make him come back to me, do this, do that. It was just take the pain away just so I can breathe for a moment, just take the pain away. And I was sort of overcome with this urge that I need to go through my room and take out everything that was linked to the occult that I had in my room, tarot cards, books, music, everything. I grabbed a box, I emptied my room out that night. I was like a mad woman. I put everything in this box, I put it outside and I sort of started to understand that all of the choices I had made on that path, that's why I was feeling like this right now, like it can't go on, it has to stop. And I realised all the things I'd done wrong and the weight of having two abortions, it was like crashing down on my head. It was the, the the grief and the pain that I'd pushed down and pushed down and never acknowledged or honoured was just like exploding at that moment. And I begged God to forgive me for that. I begged God to forgive me and to take the pain away. And I my cat was on the bed and she, she was, you know, snuggling up trying to comfort me. She fell asleep. And I I found I, I had the urge to find a Bible and I found the Bible and I was clutching this Bible praying and I fell asleep like that and then um and then that night so at some point in that night I had that experience of light again on my eyelids but this time the light was blue it wasn't a gold light it was blue it was blue and I, I, it roused me from my sleep and as soon as I opened my eyes what the scene that was around me it sort of downloaded into my consciousness in the matter of like seconds but me telling the story takes a lot longer. <laughs> I, I understand, realized, yeah. Yeah. I realised that standing next to me, like I was, well, I looked down, first I looked at my body and my whole body was cocooned. It looked like a cocoon of blue light, this blue light that was just surrounding me. 
And the feeling right off the bat was this immense, immense feeling of peace and love and deep, 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 deep joy. And it's like I, I've talked to people, it's like, you know, when it's a mild day and you're sitting in the sun and it, the sun's on your back and it feels so lovely and yes. you just want to bask in it. Yes. It felt like that, but just multiplied by, you know, a lot. And in the next moment, I realized that standing next to my bed with her arms outstretched over my body was the Virgin Mary. And I, she was, I remember thinking, oh, she's tall. But now I realize she wasn't, it wasn't that she was tall. It was that she was not on the ground. She was sort of elevated and her arms outstretched over my body and she had a blue mantle on and the, 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 the draping of the mantle was falling on the side of my bed. I remember that. I remember thinking like, you know, it's just like if I had a, um, a blue mantle on and I had my hand out, it drapes the same way. She's like, ah, so all these things mm-hmm. I was thinking right off the bat and, and the blue light was coming from her hands. It wasn't, she was the conductor of this light. And I, as I understood that, I also then in split second realized that Jesus was standing at the foot of my bed and that, um, I don't know if I included this in the last time I told the story, but the 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 fact that Our Lady had her arms over me was only because it was through him. Like he was the one who was putting me in this light, but she was the one conducting the light. Wow. So the light was coming from him through her, which is why I like when I hear people say to Jesus through Mary, because to me that that's like, yes, like that's what I experienced, you saw but the that. other way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the way he looked, I remember thinking he's really tall. He was really tall. He looked really tall. But he wasn't, I didn't see him as um, Christ, you know, like with a white gown or anything. I saw him as Christ crucified. Like he had wounds on his body and he was and he was naked. And I remember thinking the first thing I thought about him was he's tall. He's naked. Naked except for a cloth on his groin area, which is I guess how he would have looked on the cross. Yeah. I don't know. But he was he was naked, and when I said naked to myself, I thought I felt sh- like he's sh- he was sh- um, shamed. I felt how much he was shamed on the cross in that in his passion, and immediately I understood. No words, no there were no words spoken, but I immediately understood from him that my he took my sins on the cross. That it was my sins that I don't have to feel the guilt because he's already paid for my sin that's kind of like that's the message that I was getting from him but also that but also then I had the guilt of that my sins did that to him and um interestingly I couldn't see his face I could only see him from the chest down but I knew that his face I knew his face was there I could sort of I knew his face was there and I knew he was looking down but I couldn't see his face so and it's a very tricky thing to explain but I and then I started just thanking them and I started saying thank you so much you're real you heard my prayer you heard my prayer you're in my room in this little suburb in Sydney in here in my room both of you and there are people out in the world who are being killed and tortured and they don't have any food and their situation is so much worse than mine but you're here answering my prayer and and I felt that it felt like they loved me and there was nobody else in the world that's how much love there was it was 
Laura, I'm just going to pause you because as you're talking, and I'm not filming, mm. but there's like this lovely kind of blue light around you. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so I'm just going to take That's a photo. Really I don't know if I'll be able to grasp it, but it's sort of coming and going. Um, and I only record the audio. So anyway. Do you know what, yeah, go do you know on. what Trapper, Trapper Jack said to me when he was talking to me? Because you know he's blind. Yes. But he said when people talk to him, he sees colours. And he said... Every, the whole time you were telling that story, I could see blue. Yeah, I'm seeing <laughs> so it. I'm actually saying. seeing it, but now it's gone. So wow. it's just wow. – um, so if you see me take a photo, that's why. Okay. <laughs> so just, yeah, sorry, continue. Isn't but that it's, interesting? It's just so beautiful, that story, because, I mean, it, it makes so much sense that you would see him in his deepest suffering, you know, yeah. given that yeah. that's what you were going through. So there's this – beautiful sense of empathy but obviously more than that you know that's yeah. this experience and I love how you you were so cognizant of so much throughout this whole yeah. extraordinary experience and you're even reflecting on your great good fortune to be able to see them yeah. while others you know and I, I think that's really amazing yeah yeah it was amazing it was like you know when you're a kid and you you have like this um celebrity that you completely idolize and then you meet them in real life <laughs> it's kind of like you're Jesus and Mary, like I've heard all about you. You're here, and it was the strangest, strangest feeling that I was feeling. But the funny thing was when I was when I was going through that, that my cat was on the bed. She'd fallen asleep near my feet, and when this all started, and uh, you know, I, it probably lasted maybe thirty seconds, or maybe I can't even tell you how long it was. It felt like a long time, but I don't think it was very long. She was totally freaked out like she was seeing she obviously was seeing what was going on because she started she jumped off the bed in a big hurry and then went to the door and was scratching 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 at the door wow that's and hissing a lot. and trying to get out and, and then I said to them I laughed and I said oh you've scared the cat <laughs> you've scared the cat can you calm her down because I know if I move a muscle this is you're going to go and she kept clawing and she kept clawing and nothing nothing changed and then the second the second I just sort of moved my arms, because I was still holding the Bible, the second I just moved my arms, it was just gone, like oh. like that, just gone. And I, I let the cat out and I got back in bed and I said, come back. Oh, and they, they didn't come back, but I was left with this feeling of the deepest, deepest, deepest sense of joy. And that prayer that I had prayed, which was, please take this pain away, was answered because I didn't have that you know, that feeling of grief that was engulfing every moment, it was gone. It was, I just felt so loved. Um, and then, you know, the next day I told my sister, my twin sister, this what had happened to me, and she said to me, oh, my gosh, you have to go to Medjugorje. You have to go to Medjugorje. I've been dreaming about this and, you know, you, I'm not, you just need to go. And she gave me this book called The Message and there was a picture on the book this place in Medjugorje, your listeners might be able to Google it, but there's a place in Medjugorje where Our Lady has been appearing to these children, they were children at the time, for all this, you know, since 1981 with messages and um, all these amazing conversions have happened and healings. And she just said to me, you've got to go there. I've never heard of this place before in my life. And But she gave me this book and the cover of the book was a photograph of um the Virgin Mary, during that someone took during the apparition, they took a photograph of the space where the children were looking. So they couldn't see anything, but they just took a, a spa, photo of the space where they were looking. And when they developed the, the photo, the Virgin Mary's face appeared on 
the cover on, in the photo, and he put that photo on the cover of his book. And when I when she handed the book to me, I looked at the photo and I just looked at her and went, "That's her. That's her. That's her." I was like, "That's her." I I you know I look for um every time I see a statue of Our Lady or a picture online or it's like I'm searching and searching and searching to to find something that looks like what I saw and I can't like it, yeah. the beauty is unmatched and it's, mm. and it leaves you feeling like it's not her it leaves you feeling like um, a sense of I can't even explain it like I, I, I'm, I've been looking for years to buy a statue of Our Lady mm. and I haven't bought one because I haven't found one that matches her beauty oh, that even comes close so I don't have one. Laura, you might have noticed I've taken a few photos. There, you're now surrounded by all these colours and I, wow. I will share them with you and if you'll, maybe we'll see if we share them um, with our listeners as well. But I'll take it. Yeah, it's just wow. like you, will, you, you won't be able to believe it when I show you. Yeah, oh, wow. It's quite extraordinary. Oh, yeah. Great. It's like a halo of colours. Um, oh, so I'm quite distracted. Simple. I'm just staring at them <laughs> behind you. It's quite strange. That's amazing. So... So, okay, so if we can just, so it shares some similarities with your earlier experience of seeing the light in that you were so aware and cognizant, but were you, just just some practical points, were you still lying down or had you, yes. you, had, you, had, you were still lying down and were you still sensing yourself sort of in a cocoon? Yeah, the wow. whole time, the whole time I was in a cocoon and I, I knew that if I moved it would Go. I just knew that. I don't know how I knew that, but I knew. So I, I, I just was as still as I could be while this whole thing was happening. And, and yeah, I, I've, I've tried to draw the scene, and I can't quite capture it. But it's kind of quite. Maybe I can. Maybe I can email you. A oh, picture could you? To sort of yes, please, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I've heard that before too. Well, not in a sort of a mystical experience of that nature, but I remember interviewing a lovely woman whose two little girls died tragically in a car accident and they came to visit her and she knew that if she moved, they would disappear. But it was all so real up until that point. But she knew if I move, if I blink, if I even blink, they will disappear and that is what happened. But before she had the urge to blink and she fought it, she had this beautiful experience of being able to hold them and that experience really healed her, you know, in the wow. same way that you, this experience put you on a path to healing. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, it sure did. It sure did. It, it, and and it, it doesn't happen instantly but it, it's like a flower that you plant in your garden. You plant it and then over time through the seasons it starts to grow and eventually it flowers and bears fruit and that's, that's like a perfect metaphor for the rest of my life from that point on, you know, and I'm now starting to bear fruit. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so my goodness, I mean, it's hard to even begin to imagine how one would feel in the immediate aftermath of such a contact, but mm. how did you feel, you know, so you got up, you had to let the cat out, so you were physically up. Out. Yeah. And, and then, then, and then I, I got back in the bed and then, I just couldn't get the smile off my face for the rest of the night. I you know, fell asleep eventually. And then I woke up feeling joy in my heart. I didn't feel, you know, the circumstances were still the same in my life, but I was, like, filled with this joy and filled with strength, like, you know, and almost like strength and it maybe even wisdom because I was able to 
look back on the choices that I'd made in the past and see where I went wrong. And I knew that I wasn't going to do that again. I knew why I went wrong and I just, I just, almost like you, you get, um, you get this, yeah, I don't know, it's like a gift of the Spirit. They talk about that a lot in the Bible, different gifts. And it, for me it was like in that moment joy and it was wisdom. Um, and and so then not long after that I, I read the book that my sister gave me and by the end of the book I'm like I'm buying a ticket to Medjugorje. I don't know where this place is but I'm going. And so I did. I bought a ticket to Medjugorje. The former um, Yugoslavia, is that right? It's yeah. It's in. It's actually in Bosnia Herzegovina. Uh-huh, yeah. In former Yugoslavia, it's in a little, tiny little remote village that doesn't really have anything except a big mountain and a nice church. It's still relatively untouched. It's got you know a few bed and breakfasts now. It's been developed since, but um, still relative. Still to me, it's still like a you know small village. So I so I so I went I booked my ticket and I'm like what am I doing I'm going to the other side of the world with nobody that I know I'm staying in a stranger's place and I'm going to climb a mountain this is <laughs> so bizarre and and I would waver in my decision every now and then I'd go oh, you know maybe I can't afford it and then I'd you know that that obstacle would be knocked down and then I'd have another doubt maybe you know I won't be able to get the time off work and then the, so it was like every time I had a doubt it was sorted for me you know I remember before I left, I, one particular moment where I was umming and ahhing about whether I would go, I had this dream. It was like a dream that lasted all night long and it wasn't, wasn't like I wasn't seeing anything in the dream. I was just talking and I was talking to God and in a, in a, in a place where I couldn't see anything. It was like just a, like a grey space but I could hear his voice and he was, he was the one doing the talking. It wasn't so much me and he was it was. It was like it, t- it took him all night to explain something to me and I, I don't remember what he was explaining to me. But by the time it got to the morning, and, and I remember his voice was like this big, booming voice, big, booming voice. And by the morning, I remember the only thing that I said back to him was, okay, okay, I understand, I'm coming. And then I made a joke and he laughed and I thought, God, it's got a sense of humour. That's amazing. <laughs> And so I woke up and, I, and every doubt that I had was gone. And I'm like, I'm going to this place. And so when I got there, it was incredible. It was incredible. It was kind of like I had, you know, the, the, the story of the ghost of Christmas past where the, the guy had this guide who was taking on a different journey every night. Yes. It's kind of like that. Um, and I, I had this. So when I got there, I climbed them. One of the first things I did was I climbed this giant mountain. And on the top of the mountain, there's this cross that was built in 1933 and under this concrete cross is a relic of the real cross that St. Helena brought from Jerusalem centuries ago and they built this cross. There's a quite interesting story behind that too. Built this cross. There's no electricity on this mountain. It's just like this remote, there's nothing except this cross. Got to the top of the mountain. I separated from my group. And I sat down and I said, all right, God, you got me here. I'm here. <laughs> and we just had this conversation and I said to him, I know what you, 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 you wanted. You wanted me to get off that path and, you know, trust you and I'm here because I trust you and now I'm going to tell you what I want. And I just was talking to him like he was anyone, you know, <laughs> and I said, I want to be with that person that I broke up with. I want to be married. I want, to, I want it to be... I'm giving you something that's broken. I want you to take it and make it wholesome. I want 
a family. I don't want drugs. I don't want partying. I, I want a husband who is a great father and who is faithful and I want, I want everything. I want everything. And if you can't give me that with this person, if you know that's not for me, then take it all away from me and show me what you want and I'll have what you want. Mm. So it's kind of like, oh, this is what I'm telling you what I want, but I, in the end, if that's not what you want for me, I'll do what you want. And and then I kind of, kind of said, okay, deal. <laughs> and I climbed back down the mountain and that night I had this dream. This was the first of a series of these dreams that I had and I dreamt that there was a, a man, I was kind of like in this like room, again, like it's sort of like a grey room, like a limbo, like nowhere. And there was a man walking towards me. I couldn't see his face because he was wearing a hat, sort of like a baseball cap, and he was looking down and he had the hand of a little child and they were walking towards me. And this little, it was a little boy and he had like blonde, beautiful blonde, white blonde hair and he was wearing a nappy. So he would have been about, you know, maybe 18 months, between 12 and 18 months and walking towards me. And I looked down at the child and I immediately recognised that child was my son and it was my son from the person that I'd broken up with. My, even though we didn't have a child, it was mine and his child in the future. So not the child that I had aborted. It was a child in the future that was coming. Yeah. And I understood all of that. And I looked down at him and I immediately felt um, like this love that I'd never felt before, um, the way a mother loves. And I picked him up and I held him and I held him so tight and I remember saying, I knew he couldn't stay with me, but I remember saying, I'm so happy to meet you and I'll, I can't wait to see you and I'll, I'm going to have a name picked out for you. And then I had to put him down and, he, and I watched him walk away. And then I understood that what I asked for on the mountain, that's what it was going to be. It was going to be what I asked for. You have such so, a direct connection, a hotline to heaven, you know. You, you put well, it out then, there and then that very night... <laughs> It's so amazing. <laughs> that is, yeah, it's not always like that. It's not, sometimes you think it's falling on deaf ears, but I think we all do. We just have to yes. trust that he's listening. Very good point. Very good point. So the first night was a, an amazing dream, a really happy dream. The second night was, again, the same guide. I just dreamt that I was like suddenly plonked into this place, just a darkness, like just completely darkness that you could it was just if you've ever been to the Janolan caves and you've gone where they turn the lights out it, it was like that kind of darkness okay. like thick uh, thick darkness and and I was like what am I doing here where am I where am I and as I was looking around I started to become aware of other people in this space and they were all all of them in agony like there was a woman on the ground rocking backward and forward not aware of anybody else in the space except her, but she was in this, she was like really upset. And there was a guy sort of walking around in circles and, you know, tearing at his hair. He was very upset. And I started to realise this is not a good place. Like I understood immediately, downloaded information again, this is where I was going if I had stayed on that other path, mm -hmm. if I didn't change my life. I don't know. Some people have said to me it was hell. I don't know. I don't know if it was hell. I don't know if it was hell or purgatory or where where I was, but it wasn't a good place. It was the the thing that was most that I was most aware of in this space was the isolation 
from God. That's what it, there was no there was no God in this space, and it was dark. And then, as I looked around, I saw somebody that I knew in real life in this place, and and he was there, and I saw him exchange drugs for money. So it was like I was watching the reason why he was there, and he didn't. So, so you know, I don't see this person anymore. But the few times that after I come back from Edgecombe, I would see this person. I would feel like, do I tell them? Do I? But I never did because I just thought he'll think I'm crazy. But I saw him in this place, and then I started feeling like once all that information was downloaded, I started going, oh, I'm here. I'm here. Oh no! And then I was like, I don't belong here. I don't. Be- I'm a good person. I shouldn't be here. And I started feeling overwhelmed, like I suffocating. So, and then once I once I sort of became aware of my surroundings, I was um, completely suffocating. Like I felt like, oh, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. How do I get out of here? And there was I was looking around, and there was there was no way out. It was just all dark. And then all all of a sudden, when this feeling of panic was getting to boiling point, I saw the left side of me. It's like a tiny little pin of light, and the light got bigger. And I I looked over and I saw the guy with the hat. And he was wearing a he was wearing a backpack. I don't know why he was wearing a backpack, but he had a hat on and he had his back to me and he called my name. And I look when I looked at him and he sort of went like that with his hand and he goes, Come on, you don't belong here. And I, I was like, Oh, thank God. And I was relieved. And then as soon as he said that, I was whisked out and I was awake. And it was like, you know, my heart was racing and I was thinking, okay, all right, that was not a good place. Thank God I didn't, you know stay there <laughs> it, was, it was yeah it was like I was being it was they were like teaching moments almost yes yeah yeah and um and actually just to backtrack a little bit before the in the weeks before I had left to go to Medjugorje tying right tying back to the phone call that I had with my grandfather the first time yes you said before he was calling from heaven but I actually don't think he was in heaven I think he was in some sort of purgatorial state. I don't think he, I would think, I think, I don't think he was in hell by any means, but I don't think he had reached heaven yet. Um, Like almost like a limbo, I guess. Yeah. Because the time that, because then I had this dream that I was having a normal dream and then all of a sudden everything in the dream stopped. Like everybody froze except me. And then I looked around and my grandfather was walking towards me through the people in my dream and he was wearing cream coloured clothing and he was really young. He was young and he was thin and he was healthy and he had this big smile on his face and he walked straight up to me and sort of grabbed my shoulders. He didn't say anything but if he was going to speak it would be saying something like, I'm really proud of you, well done. That's the feeling that I got. I understood straight away that he was going somewhere that he was really happy about. So so I'm in my mind I'm, I'm putting together that he hadn't reached heaven yet. He was in that limbo state and that, I don't know if it was because of the pilgrimage that I was going to make as maybe that was, a, you know, when we pray for souls in purgatory in, in the Catholic faith, we believe that, that those prayers can help them get to heaven faster. And when you make a big sacrifice like a pilgrimage that, you know, if you have people in your family tree who are still in purgatory, that that can help them as well. Mm. So it's an interesting theology. Oh. I'm fascinated by that and it's so interesting you mentioned that because it's got sort of echoes of this idea of intergenerational trauma and the idea that when we do our own personal healing we're able to somehow on some quantum level or because time is outside of these experiences that we can heal them as well. 
And yeah. your your story has echoes of that because there's a sense that your grandfather was letting you know that the work you were doing was helping him. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Yeah. That's what it felt like. And I and I and I felt really happy. I was like, he's proud of me, you know. So that that was quite interesting. Anyway, to interject back back and forth about okay. dreams. I'm just trying to remember another dream that I had when I was there. I had the most like the the experiences that I had. So. It wasn't just dreams when I was there. It was also real-life things that happened during the day. So okay. something that happens there quite a lot, some sort of phenomena that people report, millions of people report on, is that they see the sun spinning in the sky and pulsating colours. And, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it, there's been similar reports at different um, apparition sites and mm. things like that happening. But in Medjugorje, these sorts of things happen all the time to the point where if it's happening, the locals just say, oh, yeah, it's, you know, spinning again. There you know, goes the sun so... spinning again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. They're, they're quite, quite accustomed to it. And one of the days that we were there, uh, we, I went to daily mass when I was there, which I, I didn't even go to church. And so that was big for me to go mm. to daily mass was a big, <laughs> big change. And I'd come out of the mass one morning and I looked up at the mountain at that cross and I was just staring at it and, you know, it was just the white concrete cross and then a cloud went in front of it, and when the cloud moved away, it wasn't a white concrete cross anymore. It was a tall, skinny wooden cross, and it was pulsating. It was spinning and pulsating. And I, there was a lady standing next to me, and she said, are you seeing that? And I said, yeah, I'm seeing that. And so I was like, okay, we're both seeing this. Wow. This was, this was in 2005, so it wasn't it wasn't iPhone time. Yeah. <laughs> if it was, I'd have it on camera. but. Um, and then the, the cloud would move, it did it a couple of times, move back and forward, and each time it was either the white white pulsating spinning cross or it would go back and it was the tall, skinny wooden cross and it was spinning and pulsating. It was the most incredible thing that I've ever seen and I can't explain it, except to say someone might, if, I, if I'm telling someone who's sceptical, they might say you just had a hallucination. <laughs> There's no, no way to describe what mm, happened. But the woman that you were standing next to also yeah. had the hallucination. Yeah, exactly. If that's the case. <laughs> exactly. And we're both very okay, like just, you know, checking in. Are you seeing it? Yeah, I'm seeing it. Okay. And so, and we didn't tell anyone. We just sort of took that away, that beautiful experience away and just, you know, just kept it, kept it to ourselves. And like, wow, that was really special. It is extraordinary with these sort of, and, and, you know, as you're speaking, there is this term that's coming to my head, mystical, like you're like a modern day mystic, you know, when I think of, you know, Julianne of Norwich or mystics, or you mentioned um, St. Augustine earlier, like your experiences have similarities with those incredible people and what they've reported. <laughs> but what I, it's almost humorous that we do just oh look we've seen this and then we just go on okay lunch (laughs) you know there is an element of that which which I guess is not anything bad but even in a very small way as you're talking the room has now gone back to how it was but there were what started as blue lights went into sort of a rainbow aura and I did get that on on a couple of photos and then the line dropped out and you came back and then it was just very small sort of like fireflies around you just little dots of light and I didn't catch that I didn't catch that and little just white lights so and then you know I will hang up with you today and then I'll go and make my cup of tea and move on to the next thing but but I'm in the moment as it's happening I'm very honored to be able to see it 
Oh, wow. Wow. I wish I could see what you're saying. That's lovely. (laughs) It's really nice. Okay, so back to your pilgrimage. So you're having this experience and your grandfather seems to sort of be an an integral part of it in a way and you're both connected Mm -hmm. in a way as well. So it would be interesting to know, I mean, that's not for now obviously because it will take us off in another direction, but he was probably, he had suffering that he'd gone through probably prior to his death and he he died with with some unhealed pain, unacknowledged pain from what you're telling me. That's just what I'm sensing. So it's it's, um, it's just fascinating to me that the bonds of love and family extend beyond the grave. And that we can yes. continue to help them as they absolutely. can help us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and also to know that even though they're gone, they're still present in our lives. Yeah. And they're still they're still um, looking out for us and they're still, you know, worried if we yeah. don't do the right thing, you know. You know, I, there are lots of times where I talk to him, you know, when I'm praying, I'll, t- I'll say to him something or say something to my grandmother, but they're listening. They're definitely listening. Yeah. And I love that idea because it's just, you know, such a companionship, such an yeah. idea that's full of companionship. Okay, so you've told us a lot about the pilgrimage. So how long was your pilgrimage, Laura? It was 10 days. 10 days. Okay, yeah. and you were having these astounding experiences. And yeah. how are you feeling throughout all of this? Oh, I, I knew that something extraordinary was happening to me I, and I knew that I, I wasn't in control of it, that I was on, it felt like I was on a ride that somebody higher than me had the steering wheel and I was just being taken along for the ride, you know. I, I went, when I was there, I went to confession or reconciliation for the first time in, you know, since I was a school kid. I, I just didn't do that. And I went and I confessed all the things that I could remember, so the abortions, the taking the all the things that I could rem- remember consciously. And one of the nights that I was there, I dreamed it wasn't a perfect confession. It wasn't it wasn't complete. It was I'd imagine like, that few are. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> true, that's true. But for me I'd left out a lot of big things that in the moment I couldn't remember. I should have gone with the list, but I, <laughs> I did it. And one of the nights that I after this happened, I I had a dream that I was at my parents' house and my family were carrying this statue on their shoulders of our Lady of Sorrows and our Lady of Sorrows there's a beautiful statue of her. It's um, with the the daggers in the heart. It's at um, this church in Marrickville, and we used to go there every Easter, and it was where I was baptized. And this this statue was giant, it's like seven feet tall at least. Just beautiful statue, and my family were carrying it out of the house in a procession. And I remember standing in the driveway, and I was thinking, Oh, when is this going to be over? It's so boring, you know. Gosh. And, you know, just completely dismissing this whole thing. And when I looked up at the statue, she looked down at me. So for a brief moment she came to life and she looked in my dream and she looked down at me. And the look in her eye when she, when she looked at me was, like, really stern, like, like really stern, like, and you haven't been honest. Like it was like mm. I felt like, oh, like she could see through me, like she could see through me. And in that moment I became so acutely aware of the state of my soul when I was on that path that I, the shame was overwhelming and I fell on my knees and again I was saying, I'm so sorry, please, please, please forgive me. I don't want to be that person. And I just remembered everything that I'd forgotten. And I, it was like if God was looking at me when I was 
that person what he would have seen and it was it was ugly it was awful it was dirty it was you know it was it wasn't it wasn't I was ashamed of it and so I went to confession again and I said all the things but I had forgotten so it's like it's like she said that was good but not good enough Mm. so um that would take courage that would take courage to do that takes a lot of courage takes a lot of courage yeah because essentially you're standing in front of a complete stranger yeah. telling you every bad thing you've ever done about yourself. It's, it's hard enough to even reveal hard. it to yourself. Yeah. Think. So yeah. That, I can imagine that that was a, a huge step for you. A huge step. But then when it was done, I felt like someone had dipped me in a bowl of water and cleaned me. Like I felt like so like I could breathe again, like yeah. weight was lifted off my shoulder. I felt, I felt brand new. I felt oh. amazing. That's so lovely, yeah, that that sort of freedom and freshness. But, mm. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I have read over the years that if we keep our pain unacknowledged, unhealed inside us, it will manifest in all, you know, myriad yeah. of ways from physical yeah. illnesses to psychological illnesses and, you know, God knows what else. So yeah. so that, that looking at it, saying it, expelling it, that, yeah, huge yeah. healing step. Wow. Definitely. Wow, Laura. Well, should I tell you about when I got back? Yes, please. But before you do, there was something that happened on the pilgrimage that you were told you were called, that you mentioned to me. Does that ring a bell? That was that was when I got back in, to Sydney. Ah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Let's go to yeah. that then. Okay. So it was actually the first time that I publicly told this story. And um, no, it was the second time. I, I, it was, I was talking to um, like a prayer group. A group of people and there was this I don't even think he was a Catholic priest I think he was a pastor or minister or something and he but he was amazing he was he was giving us this amazing so he was great I told my story and then afterwards he would pray over everybody and when he got to me he just stopped and he said before he said anything to me and he said to me you're called you are called you have to your testimony is not for you to keep to yourself you have to share this he sort of said all these things like just all these messages swirling around in my head going I can't tell people that I can't tell like I can tell you because you don't know me but I can't go around telling people this story like what will they think of me all this stuff was swirling in my head and I started crying because I realized in that moment I realized that all of this didn't happen to me so that I could keep it to myself and I think if one person can hear my story and take anything from it you know whether it's Whatever that whatever it is that they might be going through, they can resonate. But hopefully, it's that God is real in that story. Then I need to share it, you know. And I have to just bear the shame and the guilt of telling the story and just tell it because it, can, you know, I, at least I know one person who's come to me and told me that it's changed everything for them hearing my story. So. Well, it's a great honour for me to hear it here and to share it with our listeners on the Spirit Sisters podcast and certainly I am a big believer in the healing power of sharing our stories, you know, and that's why I have two podcasts to share these kinds of experiences. But I'm not going to let you go without asking you about, well, first of all, there is that little teaser that you mentioned at the beginning that you've had an experience since we we last spoke. But before that, there was some, there was a beautiful story you shared with me, Laura, about, again, your connection with the spirit world. And it had to do with sensing your brother-in-law's spirit in a yeah. dream and he came to you with a very powerful message. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When was so that, I had, please? Yeah. Yeah. I um 
so a few years ago, my husband's. Oh, so I should say, my, I've got a husband now. Oh yes, <laughs> please. When, yes, sorry, when I, when I, um, <laughs> we haven't finished. <laughs> When I when I got back from the pilgrimage, I um I did end up getting back with that with that guy, and within the space of a few months of being back with him, he woke up one day and just said, "I'm not doing drugs anymore. I'm not I'm not ever smoking another joint. I don't want to do that anymore. Oh, that's it for me." And I was like, I've "Heard that before?" But literally, that's what happened. Never ever ever looked back. He just was like instantly transformed in that moment. It took a while to get there, but, you know, once he did, he just never looked back. Mm. And then within a year of me getting back, we were getting married and we got married. We had a beautiful honeymoon in Europe. We went to Venice and different parts. And then we had a baby. <laughs> and that little boy that I saw in that dream, <laughs> everyone was telling me I was having a girl and I said, no, I'm having a boy. And I already have his name picked out. And sure enough, I had a little boy beautiful blonde hair it was the child that I saw in my dream it was yeah it was such a you know when when the the moment he was born I was like looking at everything going gosh you know God keeps his word (laughs) he really does keep his word so um how amazing I cannot imagine how you felt in that moment when you looked at him oh just the joy and even now when I look at him yes he's, he's yeah both my children are Um, apples of my eye (laughs) so my husband's um, sister a few years ago was um, her her husband her partner they were married at the time her partner was diagnosed with lung cancer at 46 and they had just had a little boy they had a four-year-old little girl and they had just had a little boy and within nine months he had the cancer was so aggressive and he died within nine months he was he was gone and it was devastating it was such a devastating time for everybody but particularly for Rachel but she never she know she's so gracious and strong and I never saw her cry I never saw her there was no pity parties you know she just picked herself up she had kids to look after she got on with her life she's given them an incredible life but she carried on for them she smiled she went back to work she just she's incredible I don't know where she gets that strength from and then one night I had a dream and it was sort of like when my grandfather came in my dream that I was just having these regular dreams rolling into another one rolling into another and in all of those dreams I was aware that my brother-in-law was standing in the corner just sort of watching and eventually I stopped the dream and I looked at him and I said what are you doing Nick what are you doing in my dream and he stepped forward and he said tell Rachel I'm always with her and that was it and I was like okay and then I woke up and I thought, I can't tell Rachel that. I can't bring up Nick. She's doing so well. I don't want to upset her. So I didn't say anything. I just kept it to myself. I think I told my husband, but I just kept it to myself. And then about a year later, I had my second child. And I remember sitting at the dining room table at my in-law's house. And she was sitting at the table with her child. And I was feeding Chloe. And she, all of a sudden, she just opened up and started talking to me. And she said to me, I'm so upset at the moment. I'm really angry. And I said, oh, why? What's happened? And she said, I'm angry with Nick. And that was her partner who had died. Mm. And I said, why? And she said, because he just left me all alone. I'm doing this on my own. I'm all by myself. And I'm, I feel angry about it now. I'm all alone. And when she said that, I remember the dream. And I just wow. was like, oh. And I said, Rachel, I have to tell you something. 
And I told her the dream and I said, and Nick said, tell Rachel I'm always with her. And she just like, she just, she let out this like, oh, sigh and just grabbed me and hugged me and held me and said thank She was so grateful for those words in that moment. And I just thought it in wasn't the moment. right time. To, yeah, in that moment. It, was, it wasn't the right time before. It was when she needed to hear it, that's when I needed to tell her. So, you know, that gave her so much comfort. But since then I've had another encounter. Like I've had a couple, but I remember oh, I, I've had, I could be here all day telling you some of the strength <laughs> I've had, but I remember not that long ago having this dream where I heard this voice in my dream and the voice said it was a yeah, like a big male, deep male voice, like that voice that I heard in that dream of God. And the voice said, I will bring you the people I want you to pray for in your dreams. And I woke up with that message in my head and I was like, okay, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. But I ha- it's not like I have these dreams all the time. They're very few and far between. And since we last spoke, I had this dream and again, it was, it's always the same thing. Like I'm dreaming something and somebody interrupts. And this time it was my first boyfriend, the one that I had my first abortion with, was his mother. And she died about a year ago. And her and I really loved her. She was an amazing woman. Anyway, she was in my dream. And this time I looked at her and I said, Lorraine, what do you need from me? It's like I already knew. And she just looked at me. She said something like, in language that she would never use, I don't think, in real life. But she said, she said, say many prayers and make many sacrifices. And then that was it. That's all she said. And by that I understood that she meant the sacrifice, that word meant sacrifice in a mass, like have a mass said. She meant for her. She meant for her. And so I was like, oh, whoa, okay. Because I was always praying for her, but I had stopped. I hadn't prayed for her for a really long time. Yeah, so I so I do I do that now. I pray for her, and I've you know had November masses because November is the month of All Souls. So I've had November masses oh. said for her, and and yeah, I haven't had like I said they're kind of few and far between. But when they happen, they're so distinctly different yes. from a real dream that you know the difference. You know. Wow, Laura. So in many ways, the calling that the pastor you know, spoke to you about is is certainly manifesting, you know, your, would you say that it, this experience has put you on a path where you understand your purpose and what it is? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think that we all have the same calling, um, whatever your vocation in life, I think that we all have the same calling and that is to teach people that God is love. You know, it doesn't matter what religion you are. But people need to know that God loves them no matter what. You know, we can, we can hurt him with our choices, but he still loves us. And I think, and that's what I do in my job. So I went from working in PR and, you know, very sort of shallow type of industry where you can't share your faith with anyone to leaving that behind. I can't do that anymore. It's not me. I'm not that person anymore. And now I'm in a I mean, I was doing it voluntarily for a long time, but now I'm actually getting paid. Someone's paying me. It's crazy to work with families on the level of pastoral, on a pastoral level where I get to share my faith with with them in the hopes of bringing them to their faith, like to connect them with their faith and to nurture their faith life and the faith life of their children in the school that I work in. So essentially my job is to (laughs) evangelise. 
but it, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if I do that well. But I think, I think it's important just to not do it with words, just to just to do it with your actions and just to love like God loves. And mm. and if they know who you are and they know what you believe, then they will see that. They will see God and they will come to some, at some point in time, they'll realise that, yeah, hang on, yeah, God is love, you know, and it's simple as that. It's, it's love God, love your neighbour, simple as it's that. It's very simple, isn't it, although we've yeah. managed to, you know, as a human race, complicate it terribly, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. So, well, I guess we'd better wind it up. But um, just before we go, I'd like your final reflections. All these years later, when you think back to that moment and you saw, you know, it sounds amazing to even say it, but you saw Mary by the side of your bed, you saw Jesus at the feet of your bed. How do you reflect on that? And what, what comes to mind when you think of that incredible moment? Oh, I just feel so incredibly blessed that that for that brief moment, that little veil that exists between our world and theirs was lifted because that's what it took to convert me. It, I was like the Thomas that needed to see the whole before I believed. So I feel incredibly blessed, incredibly blessed. I'm still trying to figure out what happened to me that night in the light. I'm still I'm still starting to understand that maybe it wasn't just about taking the pain away in that piece. Maybe there was something else going on. But I think the beauty of it is that I don't know. I'm not supposed to know. It's a journey. And um, one day when I stand before God and he says to me, what did you do with the love that I gave you? I hope that I can say I gave it to everybody. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my goal in life. Oh, Laura, well, I don't even want to add one more word to that. That is just a beautiful note to end on. And how lovely that your vocation is to remind people of the love that, you know, is behind everything and creates all. Yeah. So that's really beautiful. Message of love, our world needs it, right? <laughs> Oh, so much, so yeah. much. Oh, well, thank you very much for joining us on the Spirit Sisters podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure and I know this is going to go down as one of the favourites. So thank you oh. so much, Laura. Thanks, Karina. It was so lovely to meet you. Thanks. And I'll be that. Tell me what you think of the book when you get it. Oh, I will. I can't wait. Um, everybody, Laura has sent me a surprise book in the mail. I'm waiting for it to arrive. <laughs> thank you, Laura. I, I think. I think you're meant to have it. Oh, I can't wait. I'll report back. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Mm-hmm.